What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Maddie Faz Podcast, live here from New Jersey Shore. Be a pretty fuzzy productions, and actually working on a new website. A little change up, but uh, still have all the pretty fuzzy stuff going on. Uh, the the new website will be maddiefazmedia.com. That's in uh, progress of being built, so uh, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, on there, you know, it'll, it'll house all different podcasts and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I just wanted to do a quick little intro here beca- uh, before I uh, get to kind of the, the, the main event, uh, which is an interview that came together, and uh, I can say it was probably one of the highlights of my uh, <laughs> broadcasting career to date. Uh, so uh, and that was with uh, Coach Bob Hurley Sr., uh, St. Anthony, one of the best coaches walking on this planet, and certainly... Uh, yeah, I would say the best high school coach to ever ever grace the sidelines, and probably would have been the same in in, in college if he decided to. But uh, there's a reason why, which you'll hear in the interview. So I want to thank him, um, you know, and, and and his his wife for for uh, they they invited me over and uh, to, to to their to their house, and uh, we, we we conducted it yesterday, and it was, I mean. Really could have talked for about ten hours. Uh, it was one of those kind of interviews. So I, uh, I just uh, w- w- want to thank the Hurley family. Um, also, uh, it, it, it's mentioned in the interview, but I'll, I will say it again here: they're running a foundation uh, called the uh, the the Hurley Family Foundation, and you can visit that at theHurleyFamilyFoundation.com. Uh, you can make uh, individual donations, and uh, there will probably be another golf tournament like they had last year, later on this year. But uh, basically, the program fills in the blanks. St. Anthony was, was shut down because of uh, just you know the, the continuing trend of a lot of Catholic schools and, and the financials and, and, and all that. But uh, Coach Early is still doing a lot of uh, the work that he did at St. Anthony's this time. Uh, but with this, you know, they're renting their own gym offering a place for kids to be able to come to, uh, you know, after school, stay away from the streets and, uh, just, uh, you know, use basketball as kind of a vehicle and then, you know, have, have kind of an open gym, uh, type, type feel. So, uh, really cool stuff. And, uh, just, I, I, he's, uh, a, a person I had long admired just reading about him here, you know, just following his career and, uh, he lived up to any any expectations and hype I had in my own head about uh, just what a genuinely great dude he was. So uh, the thrill of a lifetime to be able to interview him. I hope everybody enjoys uh, the interview as much as I enjoyed uh, conducting it. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to that in, in just one second. So uh, that'll be the episode that runs about an hour and a half. And um, uh, I, I have some sponsors that we're I'm gonna throw in. Um, at some point today, uh, who helped, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, some of the behind the scenes in, in, in putting this, uh, all, all together, but, uh, just for time being, cause I'm actually, uh, heading off to a trip, uh, in just a little while. So I just wanted to make sure I got it edited and up and all, all that good stuff. And, uh, I'll toss in the, uh, the, the other parts of that, uh, as, as the day goes on, but I wanted everybody to be able to just hear the interview uh, as quick as possible. So uh, this uh, th- this is recorded yesterday, Thursday afternoon, and uh, it's my interview with the legendary coach, Bob Hurley. 
Enjoy. We're here with legendary coach Bob Hurley, St. Anthony High School. And uh, Coach Hurley, thank you again for uh, taking the time. My pleasure, Matt. Um, all right, before we go through, I mean, there's so obviously between your career, life, everything, talk probably for hours, but um, you, uh, as we were just mentioning, uh, you are you're technically retired from St. Anthony. Do you consider yourself as a retired coach now? Well, I know that uh, this is the first winter in 50 years that I wasn't formally coaching a team. And uh, uh, the adrenaline of um, game day, the uh, nervousness that you get on that day getting ready for a game, and the, uh, uh, and the day-to-day work and practice with the players, that's all gone. I'm still teaching basketball, but it's, it has an entirely different place emotionally without your own team to coach because yep. when you're just working with kids, there are no losses. There are no wins. You're the same every day. And when you coach a team, the highs and lows emotionally, are uh, you're all over the map. So it's been very unusual. I haven't used, you know, I think the most powerful drug that exists in the body is adrenaline. I've had basically no adrenaline use for the entire uh, winter, and uh, I f- very frankly missed that part of it. Yep. And, I mean, even uh, mentioning that void, I mean, but uh, have you, having kind of that, um, you know, th- this almost free time now that you didn't have, I imagine, for, you know, however many, you know, probably 30, 40 years, um, I mean, does it allow you now to think about, you know, different things and be able to, be, you know, allocate your time differently, like you're saying, teaching basketball, you know, maybe in a different way, not wins and losses, but just, uh, you know, applying all all your basketball knowledge, all the things you, you've you've learned in your life, you know, in, in, in kind of a different way. Well, we, we tried to kind of uh, build a winter around uh, renting a gym downtown. Uh, we started this uh, Hurley Family Foundation, and we figured this gym was available. It's where St. Anthony's used to practice, so we rent it, and we have kids in there every day between 3 and 6. So those hours kind of fit the traditional high school hours. So mm-hmm. those hours are filled, but I don't scout at night anymore. Uh, I'm not uh, playing evening games like we did in the past. So uh, it's very unusual. Evenings are now comprised of watching the former St. Anthony kids play on TV. Mm-hmm. And I've had a chance to see a lot more Rhode Island games in person, go see Danny's team play, and probably stay up a little bit later to watch Arizona State more often because I'm not, like, getting ready for something other than the next day is a couple hours yeah. at the gym. Well, and at least uh, with the, and both of your sons are coaching and doing a hell of a job, at, at, you know, with, with their respective teams. I guess the, the time zone thing actually probably works out in some ways because, you know, with Rhode Island's playing early, then Arizona State, I mean, the breakdown, at least you can, you know, a lot, a lot of the games aren't running at the same time, which I'm sure helps quite a bit to be able to watch. Uh, all yeah, that. there's a bunch of days where you have the two games. A weekend, uh, I think, uh, was it last weekend, uh, Danny played at noon. Bobby played about 7 o'clock at night. Uh, the only problem is you suffer with those teams because you really want them to win. My wife says when we go see a game now and we go see a former St. Anthony kid play, we just sit there and observe the game. When we go to, uh, when we go to any of the Rhode Island games, we suffer like we used to suffer at St. Anthony's. Mm-hmm. And with Arizona State, it's too far away, so we don't use that but we kind of uh, uh, suffer for at least half a game at night because it's so far away. Absolutely. Um, and uh, do you uh, do your sons? Do you, I mean, do you guys? St- I mean, I'm obviously 
talk, but do you, is it about basketball a lot? Is it about just life? I mean, do, do they pick your brain about different things, uh, you know, or, or do you, you know, offer it up? I mean, how, how do you work that dynamic with? I, I wait for some, I wait for them to ask me a question. Mm-hmm. I don't volunteer. I don't volunteer a lot. I think they were, by the time they grew into their uh, 20s, they had heard me talk enough, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So uh, if they ask me a question now, I'm happy to, I'm happy to answer. Most of the time, we just text them before the game, wishing them yeah. good luck, and then after the game, send send a message to them, and then uh, more stuff along uh, the lines of what their children are doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Bobby's got uh, three children, Danny's got two, so those five grandchildren were always asking how they're doing, and uh, it's it's more traditional family now yeah. than it used to be with the the spinning hat of father or coach. But when you're watching the game, either you're solo or with your wife, are you kind of jumping out of your skin if you see something that you know that you know you can't really control, well, like you would be on the sidelines? Well, you know, college game is different because they're better, more polished players, yeah. so you don't see as many mistakes as you see with the high school kid. You know, the high school kid is. Uh, uh, it, it's usually it's more potential than has been realized, and with the college kids, you see a more finished product. So, and 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 a different thing too is that when they're playing now, like the A10 is a very good league, Pac12 excellent league, they're always playing against a good opponent. So as you're playing, you also have to give their opponent their due because if you're coming up against teams that are talented or well coached, when you're on the road in college. It's very difficult to win. You know, the home advantage Absolutely. in college, it's just... Yeah, huge. especially certain gyms, uh, yep. I mean, just has that inherent advantage, yep. no, no doubt. Uh, on St. Anthony's, I mean, uh, you know, for people, I mean, I, I've I've always been a junkie with basketball. I've always followed it and, read. you know, I mean, I became a Duke fan because of your son, go, you know, and what you guys did and then him going, going to Duke. Um, but for people who don't, you know, aren't necessarily familiar with it, I mean, Talk a little bit about you know, just that school, what it means, what the basketball, what, what that, you know, just the whole culture there, what that meant to you and, and you know, in your life. Well, the school itself was a, uh, it was a Polish, uh, a Polish high school founded in the early 50s. First graduating class was 1956. Uh, I went to the school and, and took the freshman team in 1968. It was my first year. And uh, after five years, became the varsity coach. And it was a school of uh, 250 to 300 kids, co-ed, taught by nuns, a few few lay teachers at the time when I first started there. And the goals that we were setting in in those days was to be a good, uh, small Catholic school, private school team. And when we would compete against the bigger schools, bigger Catholic schools or the bigger public schools, we really didn't have the manpower. And then gradually over the decades, we gradually through the 70s into the 80s started to rival all the local schools. Mm -hmm. I think success drew because we had success. We drew kids from all over the city that had interest in playing basketball, started to develop a reputation. Kids started going playing in college. Whether I think perhaps maybe David Rivers who played and graduated in 84 and became the first McDonald's All-American. His uh, career at St. Anthony's kind of started the, uh, to, the runway from all over the CYO teams, uh, Jerry Walker, Terry DeHare, uh, Bobby. All kids wanted to go to St. Anthony's, and I don't know it was me as much as they loved watching David Rivers play, and it was an exciting style 
probably brought there more by David Rivers than like the style we were playing. But that kind of opened up the doors and gradually from the late 60s through the 70s, by the time we are in the uh, mid 80s, we were now capable of playing anybody in the metropolitan area. Started to go some tournaments and, uh, and started to get developed a little bit of national uh, acclaim. And at the same time, uh, we just wanted to be a Jersey City school. We just wanted to have kids from the city mm -hmm. go there. We wanted them to, uh, you know, finish their careers and then go to college and maybe continue to play, but at least go to college. And that was probably the thing that we pushed the most. And the thing we're most uh, uh, proudest about is that in the, uh, in the 45 years I coached at the school, only two kids in the 45 years didn't go to college. And that's, that's uh, remarkable. You know, if, that was a, if that was a prep school, that would still be a tremendous record. That's remarkable. And, 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 and it's well, important because those kids' uh, uh, families didn't necessarily have uh, members of the family who had been in college. Many of these kids were the first kids who attend college. Uh, that, that's tremendous. And um, what, what was the like usual or average enrollment for the entire school? It generally, it generally went to maybe 300 at the tops, co-ed, okay. uh, down to the mid-200s. And then in the last uh, six, eight years of St. Anthony, somewhere from two to 225. Wow, that's a tremendous accomplishment. But, but, you know, maybe we didn't have, the, we didn't have the, the numbers, but instead of quantity, we had quality. Yep. You always had good players. Even last year, the last year that we had a team, uh, R.J. Cole, who was first team yep. All-State last year, went to Howard University. He's the number two uh, freshman scorer in the country right now, doing really, really well. And uh, two of my other kids from that team, one walked on at St. Bonaventure, made the team, and another kid walked on at Cheney in Pennsylvania, and as a walk-on, he's starting as a freshman. So the kids are all, you know, we're all destined to go to college, mm -hmm. and most of the kids get to college, and they become important members of teams. Uh, absolutely. Um, and you, you mentioned before about talking to some of the kids. Do, do you keep in touch with a lot of the, the kids or all of them? I mean, is there, I mean, how, I mean, I, obviously, I, I, it's got, it, there's a good number of kids out there now, but, um, you know, how do you balance that, you know, with your life and, and, you know, keeping tabs on what they're doing, keep it in touch? Well, I that. think the one thing I have now is I have more time to keep in touch with the kids who are in college. Uh, the guys had graduated, you know, I, I used to keep in pretty good contact with them for a decade or two after they would finish playing. And they reach a certain age, move out of the area, you don't see them so often. But the, uh, the interesting one this year is that I've tried to follow all the kids who left St. Anthony's. I've been trying to keep track of how they're doing at the other schools. And we're happy that a lot of them are doing very well, but we're sad with some of the kids who we thought if St. Anthony's had stayed open, we would be t pulling out of them the potential that we saw that perhaps in other schools it's not being realized now. And that's very, uh, that's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, and uh, you also mentioned, the, you know, some of the guys who, who kind of blazed the trail, uh, David Rivers, your son, Roderick Rhodes, guys like that. You know, once you have those kind of players come through and set the tone along with your coaching, I mean, um, you know, did that really, you know, just establish the, that, that culture and then people kind of, you know, would, would almost fall in line behind it and, and make it a little bit easier in terms of, you, you know, the expectations of, of playing for, for, for a program like yours? Yeah, I, th I think when you win, you can, you can come up with rules that people are going to adhere to. 
like the Bill Belichick kind of. Absolutely. And we started winning the first year I was a uh, varsity coach in 1973. We won a state championship. Our second year, we were undefeated. So I think that we started off right away with a certain way we wanted to do things. And over the course of time, as I became uh, more tuned into what kids needed to be doing, we started to add more and more rules for the kids about their behavior academically, socially, athletically, the way we wanted things to go. And, you know, we always said that uh, one of the remarkable inventions is the, uh, the hinges that are used on doors because you can open up the door and join the group or if you don't like what the group is doing, you can open up that door and you can go the other way. So we would never change our rules for a person. The longer we did things and the more success we achieved, we would look at the whole amount of success and we point to a young man and say, do you think at this point we're gonna change things <laughs> now for you? You gotta do a little history on school and who's been here. And if you see any of them, they would always say when they were 16 or 17, maybe they didn't agree with what coach was doing, but it's never been perceived to be a democracy. It's always been a benevolent dictatorship. Mm. And, you know, if I had to have meetings with 16 and 17-year-olds to set the ground rules, we'd have the Titanic on our hands yeah. because these knuckleheads have no thoughts other than they only can see tip of their nose. So we've always taken that out of the equation always guided them, told them what they should be doing. And then maybe over the course of time, maybe we explained more because the modern child needs to be told why more yeah. often. But even with that, I don't think we'd spend that much time doing it. We just kind of tell them this is what, this is the way we do it, yeah. be a part of it or uh, exit, yeah. uh, exit stage yeah. left. Well, and I, I wonder that because it's funny because as I, you know, get a little bit older and I, I've watched kind of the new generation come up and I, I mean, I know how we were raised and I mean, my father was a you know, drill sergeant in, in the reserve. So, I mean, there was just certain things. I mean, you just, you, you didn't ask, you, you didn't ask questions, you just did. Um, you know, now you have kids on their phones 24 hours a day, you know, so distracted. I, was, I, I wondered if, you know, the, the newer generation, if you ran, ever ran into the, you know, oh, there all problems. Kind of, there are, Matt, there are all kinds of problems. Yeah. The one which we solved easily is that Morgan Wooten, who is the revered high school coach from DeMatha High School in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. He still runs a basketball camp during the summer. And if you, if you go on his website, he has something called 14 points for being a key parent. And it's how the parent should be involved in the, uh, the sports career of their child. The first one is after you watch your child play, the first thing you should say to them after the game is, I really enjoyed watching you play today. And then zip it. Don't say anything else. And then one of the other things is uh, when it comes to a child, particularly high school age kid, when he wants to uh, find out what his role on the team is or if he wants to increase his role, what can he do to become a better player, he goes to the coaches and he sits down with the coaches and the coaches will tell him what he needs to do. Mm -hmm. It's his responsibility to go home to his family and then give them that same information so that the coach doesn't have to have two meetings, one with the kid and then one with the parents. Instead of having this going on all the time, you have a team of 15 players. If you were having these meetings all the time, that's potentially, uh, you might have 10 or 12 meetings in a week. Where are, <coughs> where are you supposed to get this time? High school coaches don't have time for that. So we solved it all. Now it's up to the child to yeah. go back to the parent, 
if the parent doesn't like that situation, well, that goes back to the hinges on the doors, I guess. I get, well, the, the, uh, <coughs> right on the back, I'll, I'll cue it up. Uh, you know, how would you look at somebody like a LeVar Ball, what he's doing with his kids and, you know, the involvement as it, I mean. Yes, I, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's a t- I guess it's a sign of the times in the worst possible way. Mm-hmm. You know, for the, for the Del Curry who quietly, quietly was involved in the background of yep. both his sons. Which is a great example. You know, used, uh, gave them some rules growing up. You know, the rule I love to tell people about, uh, Del Curry, who I met when he was a, a high school kid uh, at the five-star camp. When, uh, when Del was uh, working with his sons growing up, he had a three-to-one rule, which I think is very important. In order for his sons to play in a game, they had to put in three hours of practice. So they had to work on getting better at things, and then they would use the game to showcase what they had practiced. Mm. We're in a society now where the kids play three games and practice one hour, and the, the opposite's occurring. They play, but they're not getting as good, they're not improving as much as they could because they're not uh, working on things that they're not good at. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost just that, it's, everything's just so immediate now, it's just, <clears throat> People aren't willing to put in that time anymore. Almost, you know, just where you're not connected to a phone and an iPad, and you just sit and shoot, work on drills and and, and things of that nature. It's just, I mean, people post themselves dunking, and then it's on YouTube, and then they think they're a superstar. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a different culture. Um, did you I, obviously something like Levar Ball is obviously the far end of the spectrum? I mean, did you run into a lot of parents like that who tried to? you know get overly involved or did they kind of understand Pro- I, th- how you I did think things? I think probably over the last 10 years or 10 to 15 years there is noticeably more involvement with families uh, uh, being around the kids almost an inordinate amount of time you know for, for decades uh, kids would get to practice on their own uh, a group of them would get together walk back and take public transportation home and then over the last period of time a lot of kids are being dropped off by family who then kind of linger waiting for practices to be done. I don't really believe in having open practices. I think it's an awkward thing for the child when a lot of the other kids there are not going to happen. I mean, if every, if every parent came and we had like a special day where we had them all there, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But I think it's an awkward thing for the, for the, for the kid whose family is there watching practice. It just, uh, it's not helping him with personal growth. So we discourage that. And, and we also try to, you know, we would say to people all the time, you know, in the two hours your child is going to practice, we're going to work extremely hard. And he may not be prepared for that two hours. That's what happens with young people. So we're really going to push him during that period of time, and he may not be always ready, and that'll be some awkward moments. Yeah. But we can solve those. Mm-hmm. If you're hanging around, it's only going to make it a little bit more awkward. And, you know, review your position as a parent and concentrate on the, 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 the issues at home and in school, and we'll concentrate on the issues on the basketball court and also reinforce anything uh, academically, curfew, any who's hanging around with mm-hmm. any of those things, we'll help you with that. But I, I, I had a, I had a problem over the years when parents would say to me, "Could you please talk to John about his grades?" And I would say, "Yes, I will," but you're the parent. I have three children. Yeah. My children are all college graduates. You know, my daughter's got a master's. Uh, I think that it's really important that 
you emphasize the importance of their education. And I'll reinforce it with the day in, day out stories about all our kids in college, or our kids out of college, yeah. who's doing what, those kids around us all the time. Mentoring is going on, but it still has to occur at home where you're monitoring the hours that ki your kids are keeping, you're, you have hours that they're supposed to do homework, restrictions on them when they're at home, uh, all of those things parents need to do less than they need to sit around and watch a two-hour high school practice. Absolutely. Um, and in turn, you were talking about your, your practices and your, your teams were always known. You, know, you guys had a very particular style. You guys played very high-intensity high defense. You know, it was a priority. I mean, was that always kind of the blueprint? That did your style, did it evolve over time? Was it because of the players, you know, or, you know, getting a lot of players from this area who, you know, had kind of like that Northeast toughness. I mean, how, how did how did you develop or cultivate that? Well, you know, I style? think when you, when you come up with a coaching style, it's got to, uh, number one, it's got to fit the kids. Yep. And number two, fit your personality. You know, like you can go to a coaching clinic, as all young coaches do, and you can go hear somebody at a clinic. I was fortunate enough to hear John Wooden several times as a young coach, and I took from him what I thought, uh, fit me and fit the kids and then build a style of play and then we just felt over the years the kids that we had here were tough love to play man-to-man uh, -man defense made a lot of sense for us because kids love the individual challenges of guarding the best players whether it's uh, you know Kobe Bryant or uh, Andrew Wiggins or all of these kids that we played against over the years they love the individual assignments but then it was also the team helping the individual. So you had individual assignments, but you also had team defense. Mm -hmm. And then at the offensive end of the floor, we've always been known for having really good guards, but also the ball was shared. We never had a big scorer. You know, in New Jersey over the last uh, 45 years, we never had a kid that was anywhere. Yeah. Last year, R.J. Cole last year was in a very unusual situation with a talent around him was all underclassmen. So he had probably the greenest green light anybody's had in a long time. Mm -hmm. Like everybody looked at that team last year and knew, wow, this is not like a normal St. Anthony team because the shot attempts for him game in and game out were, were extremely high. We normally would be looking to have five and double figures yeah. and a sixth kid with maybe eight, and we would just share the wealth. No, and it's funny. I, I, that's actually something I always noticed looking in the box scores, and I always respected it. You know, and I mean, especially for you know, if if, if you had a team with with a lot of kids with potential, you know, potential McDonald's All Americans or kids who were going to go to big schools. I mean, was it easy to get them to buy into that, or you know, was that some it's tricky in certain years depending on the the makeup of the roster? No, it goes back, it goes back again to the same thing: tradition. You know, going back to 1973. Uh, four or five guys in doubles every game. Uh, you know, I think balanced teams always win, whereas a team that leans, toward, leans towards a leading scorer, when that leading scorer doesn't have a good game, you can't just all of a sudden ask the other guys to be different. Mm -hmm. It's different when you just say from game in and game out, uh, the, uh, the ball goes to the guy with the best shot. The ball also goes to a guy in a given game who has got the hot, the hot, hot hand? You don't ignore a hot hand. Mm -hmm. You want to have balance, and uh, and you want to use everybody on your team. You always have good practices when every member of the team knows if he's practicing well, there's going to be an opportunity for him to play in the game. You know, game last year, uh, we had 17 players score in one game. 
17 players. Most people don't even keep uh, keep more than 12 or 13 kids yeah. on a team. And in one game, we had 17 a score. Now, that's 17 kids coming to practice the next yeah. day. Uh, you know, feel like they're all part of things. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, as the, as the years went on, I mean, um, and, and you know, obviously the, the trend started of a lot of these the Catholic schools close, shutting down and, and, and all that, and obviously it, what, what happened with St. Anthony. I mean, what, when abouts did you start to notice that and then and it become, a, you know, an issue for, for St. Anthony's, and, you know, and then something that you guys had to address on a year-to-year basis? Yeah, well, I, th- I think in Jersey City it began – the first small school in Jersey City closed in 1983. Mm-hmm. That was St. Michael's, which is only a few blocks away from St. Anthony's. And then uh, a period of time after that, St. Aloysius closed. Mm-hmm. Both of those schools were much better off financially than St. Anthony's. And then in 2011, uh, St. Mary's Jersey City closed. So of the four small Catholic schools that were co-ed, uh, middle-class kids, uh, schools for them, not prep schools or academies, all of a sudden three of the four were closed. And then you could just see that the handwriting was on the wall. If you don't have an endowment, yeah. if the Catholic Church is not able to support its own schools, and they weren't, then it's going to become uh, it's going to become just a business. Yeah. And the business has to be in the black or the business is going to close. And over the period of time, we're able to stay in the black for just about every year, this uh, the year of 2016, prior to the school closing, we were in the red by uh, not a significant amount of money, but in the red, and we were put on probation by the archdiocese. And then last year, as we began battling, all of a sudden there were a lot more things that the archdiocese wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. They didn't want us to be in the black. They wanted us to have a, a half a million dollars in the bank above what we needed to raise to keep mm-hmm. the school open. And that just became uh, an impossible task. Yeah. So yeah. we kind of, well, we from probably from 89, 90, we always have worked hard to raise money to make the difference up. The difference for us was that it was uh, $6,100 for tuition last year, the last year of the school. It was costing us about thirteen. So 13000 you had a gap of uh, nearly 7000 per kid. That's your fundraising number, yeah. and uh, it was getting up to about a million and a half dollars a year we were raising. Yeah, I um, my my mom went to Catholic school her whole life, and I so I, I would always I paid attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, she went to uh, Paul Six High School, uh, you know, and I started to see a little bit of the trend. And what I really took notice when I saw Patterson Catholic close because yep. that, I mean, two thousand ten, they, they were always yep. just a juggernaut of a t- yep. you know football basket all across the board and that yep. that really was the one where i raised my eyes where i was like wow that that school went under you know that um and i, I mean i, I and then i remember when uh with kyle anderson and uh miles Mack. miles Mack, yeah and when they when they came over to your school um and then i uh after i read you know re- reading uh the book about your about your school and uh, and the documentary i mean i don't think people appreciate how much you put into it personally to try to you know, save the school. I mean, I mean, what, what, what were, you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the efforts that you were doing, you know, behind the scenes, and, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. my wife and I, over the last, I don't know, 20 years probably, uh, raised, primarily raised more money than, than anyone else. We, we, we attached the success of basketball. Mm-hmm. We tied into uh, the business community here. Uh, I did a lot of uh, uh, speaking, corporate speaking, uh, did things to raise awareness. 
spoke about Catholic education all over the country and did as many things as I could because, very honestly, the kids were worth it. We, uh, the amount of success stories we had with kids uh, were, uh, uh, they were really just, you felt great about your association with the kids and what they were able to accomplish. The stories of backgrounds turning into success was very rewarding. And, uh, and if you felt in life you could help one person, that would be a big thing. To be able to do it with basketball players, that was great. But then to start to, to go to the school end and see that you had kids from coming neighborhoods all over the city that uh, needed this school outside of their neighborhood to try to be someone other than who they had to be when they were in their neighborhood mm -hmm. was very, uh, very rewarding and uh, very powerful. And uh, we missed that relationship with the kids, the kids you'd see in, in Target, your kids you see, uh, you know, at a, um, at a summer league basketball game. P kids that went to the school that weren't athletes that would come up and want to talk about what they're doing now. And you'd finish talking to them, you'd feel so good about it, you know. Somebody who's a fireman hopping off a truck at a fire saying hello, or somebody, uh, you know, at a crossing guard, uh, a police officer, at a, uh, a work site stopping all kids that we're very proud of. And those relationships and, you know, that, that bond, I mean, is that, was that the overriding factor that kept you at St. Anthony's as long as, as you, I mean, I mean, clearly, I mean, you had, I'm sure, any opportunities in basketball that you, you know, could have wanted if, if you wanted to pursue them and, you know, and then you did I would I what I consider noble work to you know you know coaching these kids and and doing all you know all these all, all these extra things to raise money keep the school afloat all those kinds of things I mean but was that was that would, would you consider that the main reason of why you you know chose that, that? yeah the, I mean the relationships I, I this goes not just to me but high school coaches yeah. you know high school coaches is the coach for that kid's life you know 10 years yeah. after high school guys are coming back to see you they still have a relationship with the high school coach. And the mark of a high school coach, a good high school coach, is that he affected that person. And 10 years after high school is done, at 27, 28 years old, you look at them and you're happy that your relationship and maybe your influence on them gave them the necessary values and mm -hmm. made them competitive and uh, some necessary qualities to, to yeah. transition from just the sport into into their life after uh, you know after the sport and the relationships were always what why we did it you know uh, my my probably my favorite thing with all the relationships was that I I would always say to the kids uh, I'm never gonna have one of you come back to me and say I wish you had pushed me harder I would have been <laughs> more successful so I retired at the end of last season. And it was zero kids ever came back to me to say, I wish you had pushed me, I would have been more successful. We had a, a break, uh, we had a, you know, like a last night together in June, and guys got up and they talked about growing up, and not one said that they got away with anything. Maybe they got away with little things in the long run, I buried them. You know, I was yeah. undefeated yeah. dealing with adolescent males, which is not much of a statement. No, that's what he said, because that's, my, my dad was very big on that and my dad he was he was born in iran and moved over here when he was young and uh you know he, everything was about family name you know 
traditions but his uh one of his go-to phrases was that you know so every you know some households might be three strikes in this out and you're out our house it's persian baseball two strikes <laughs> but it was really one strike and, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and yes. you knew not to do it but, yeah you didn't even want to get to yeah the it wasn't two strikes in but, baseball they talk about don't get behind in the count <laughs> yeah but it, uh that was what he always focused on but uh uh and yeah uh, speaking of the, of the coaching part i mean your, your two sons i mean did you see a future in coaching for them when you, you know, as they came through and played for you and played, you know, they both played at, at big time division one programs. Uh, you know, Bobby ended up getting drafted. Uh, of course, you know, had a tragic accident, which cut, cut his NBA career short. But did you ever see, the, you know, present day, the, the, you know, that the coaching and them or? Uh, I guess not knowing they they were they were being trained as kids mm. you know when college coaches would recruit kids from st anthony's we would have the home visits in my house so everybody in college basketball was in our living room out in greenville on ferncliff road and the kids would sit in a lot of times and just listen to all mm. these coaches as they recruited everybody late 70s through yeah. the 80s until <laughs> until bobby got into high school and then danny followed him so they were around that i ran basketball camps during the summer they were always uh, counselors at camp. I used to take them to demonstrate when I would speak at basketball camps. So they'd get up in front of the camp and demonstrate. When they went to college, they worked as demonstrators and they went to camps themselves and spoke at camps. And then they assisted me every summer when they were home. I had mm -hmm. some sleepaway camps. They always went and worked. So uh, like without knowing, I guess they were getting the training. Yeah. But what my wife and I wanted them to do is use their degree mm -hmm. so when they graduated take the degree and then use the degree the same thing you tell all the kids and then they graduated they kind of drifted towards us and uh, drifted back towards us and and basketball mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we like to say it's a family business yeah. that they make money at that I never made money at you know so I started the family business and they seem to be reaping the financial benefits <laughs> of the family business right now uh, and, you know, and obviously, I mean, you always hear so many stories about, with, especially with some of the big time college programs and some of the CD things that go on with recruiting and everything. Uh, and I, and obviously, I mean, you you are known for you know keeping the, the almost a, a family type environment with the the kids who came up through your program. I mean, how, were how, how did you protect you know some of the bigger name players who were getting recruited by big time schools from some of that? you know, kind of the dark side well, of you know, I, I, cause college. You know, the, the first thing is that the, uh, you always say to a kid, you're going to visit the college. If you weren't a basketball player, would you like this school? Number one. Number two is if you were injured and you no longer were a basketball player, you had an injury that was going to keep you from being the same player, would this be a school you'd want to go to? Mm -hmm. So if you're a, somebody that's interested in journalism or broadcasting, and Syracuse University is recruiting you. All of a sudden now, that becomes a school you're interested in. If you're interested in business, and maybe Fordham University is one of the schools recruiting you, and then Iona, and schools that have pipelines to Wall Street, you wanna be involved with those places because you can transition from college you know, to the, to the, to the work after. So it was, always, it was always with the families, we would explain that this is an opportunity to get a degree and to get a job after it. And then the statistic that every kid ever played at school would probably repeat is that 
the number that came out over the years is that one out of every 32,000 high school seniors will play in the NBA. So once you hear that number, I think you should just, you know, dream about it, but prepare for the reality of, you know, being one of those many people who is very good at it, yeah. but maybe not one of the best in the world. Yeah, and and I and I it's it's a, it's a tough balance I imagine because you know the players that don't have a didn't have a coach maybe like you who could explain this and you know almost like a fatherly type figure and instead have handlers and people leeching on you know telling them they're going to go to the end and they don't know I mean those yeah. people don't know these numbers yeah because they're not educators they're well intentioned in a lot of cases but also they're hanger-oners in a lot of cases who are trying to take advantage of a relationship and see what it can do for them. But in the long run, at the end of this whole thing, even if you are a professional player, the average length of an NBA uh, player's career is four years. So if you graduate at uh, 22, at 27, what are you gonna do for the rest of your life? Because right now, the way the world is, you're still working, if you start at 27, you're still working at 67. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do for the next 40 years of your life? You know, and it, it's, it can't be, you can't be, a, uh, you can't go back and work in a rec gym in your town. You can't stay at the school and just have people find you uh, positions as like a greeter or things like that. No, you've got to, you've just got to transition into the, to, into the real world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know I asked before about keeping in touch with players. I mean, do you, do you get a lot of kids now, you know, even you know past their 20s 30s coming you know who still seek advice about just obviously non-basketball just about you know life and you know careers and what they you know if they, if they should go into this career or that career or, or you know or you know what what path they should go down to I mean do you yeah I, I think a lot of the kids when they graduate from college many times you, you your degree uh is not the area you're ultimately going to use. Mm-hmm. So many of the kids, when they finish college and they start off, don't necessarily uh, like what they're doing. They either, they're not fulfilled or they're uh, not excited by it, or perhaps it's not, uh, financially it isn't, isn't what they thought it could be. So uh, we will have conversations about what are the, uh, you know, what possible changes. It's funny, a bunch of the kids have to, after playing in college have uh, uh, taken my recommendation that while you're at the university, build a good relationship up with the people there and then talk to the coach about becoming a graduate assistant Mm -hmm. after you finish and then work on your master's while you've just finished playing. And then a lot of them have used that and now they're getting into coaching. So we've got kids that are coaching at the college level now, a bunch of them from the early 2000s all the way up and we have kids at Cincinnati, at uh, St. Bonaventure, you know, obviously my sons. Uh, there are kids all over the country working right now and finding their way and really enjoying it yeah. and calling me all the time, talking about the basketball part of it, which, which I, I think is cool. Yeah. Um, it, it, I want to go back to um, the, the recruiting stuff. And you were saying how you know, mo- most of the college coaches have been in your living room before and i always think of the the, uh, the movie blue chips where, you know when everybody's coming yes. you know, all the coaches coming to town uh, who were there any any good stories that you could tell about that or any you know who, what like so, what coaches are kind of funny we, characters you know, or we had uh we had bob knight come to the gym uh-huh. and uh you know bob knight came in the summer uh, in the spring of 91 
and it's a great, it's, I think it's a really good story. He came in and he was driven to the gym by uh, Bill Parcells' high school <laughs> coach, Mickey Corcoran. Okay. Very famous, uh, very yeah. famous uh, coach up in Bergen County. You know, Mickey played for Vince Lombardi yep. at St. Cecilia's Englewood, and he coached Bill Parcells. That is some, that is some sports trivia right there. Yeah. So that day, uh, Bob, uh, Bob Knight came to see Roderick Rhodes, who was, uh, finished, just finished his junior year at St. Anthony's, and uh, came to watch him play in the gym. And it was just like an open gym, kids from all over the place were in this White Eagle Hall playing. And Coach Knight came in, he sat down with me and watched uh, Roderick play. But he loved the fact that it was just a gym that was open and there were kids from Bogota, there were kids from Newark, there were kids from everywhere. And I just opened the door for them and they just played. They mm -hmm. choosed up sides. I, I let them play until they, uh, the games weren't good anymore, which usually would be about two hours, two hours, 15 minutes. When they start to get tired, I just shut the door and we go home. Mm -hmm. So uh, that day, uh, Roger Coates really showed to be the player yeah. that uh, you know Coach Knight would like to recruit. But one of my other players who was a year behind him, uh, Carlos Cueto, who wound up going to Richmond on a scholarship, Carlos broke his nose during that workout and left the gym with, his no with blood dripping down all over him, went into the bathroom, snapped his nose back into place, took t uh, uh, tissue paper and put it up in his nose and walked back over to me and said to me in front of Coach Knight, Coach, I can still play. I'm ready to go. And Bob Knight looked at me and he goes, I love this blank in place. <laughs> so I said to him at the end of that, uh, at the end of that uh, uh, day, I said to him, I need to see you again in July during the recruiting process. He needs a firm hand as a coach. He's talented, but sometimes he just gets by on just his natural talent, which is only taking a certain distance. So he said to me, I'll be back in July. I really like him. So beginning of July, I get a phone call from Dan Dockich, yeah. who's now doing a lot of yeah. TV yeah. for ESPN. And Dan was the assistant coach at that time at Indiana. And he calls me up and he says to me, I got to tell you this because you're going to find out shortly. Coach Knight decided not to do any recruiting during July. Now this is like a her this is heresy because July is the recruiting period really for the following season. Yeah. So he said, I got to tell you, he's not going to do any recruiting because he decided to go fishing in Russia with Ted Williams. <laughs> so I'm reading the Ted Williams book right now. Uh -huh. And I've read another. I love Ted Williams and I love to read sports biographies. So I've already read in a previous book how the summer of 91, Ted Williams spent the whole summer uh, fishing with Bob Knight. So at least okay. the story was it was true. Absolutely <laughs> accurate. But it was always, there were always guys, you know, there was a great story about Eldon Miller was the head coach of Ohio State back in the early uh, 80s. And he had Kelvin Ramsey and Clark Kellogg and Herb Williams who mm -hmm. played in the, NBA, in the NBA. He had a great Ohio State team. And he was recruiting Mandy Johnson, one of my guards. And he and his staff were coming around regularly. And during the season, we had a Sunday morning practice. Ohio State had played the night before. And in the morning in White Eagle Hall, we had to take the bingo tables down, clean up. We could then practice for two hours. And then we would leave a little bit after noon. And in came the Ohio State coaches. And the coaches would always help us take the tables down. So they were folding chairs, helping us with the tables, 
maybe to get practice started quicker so they could watch and then yeah. get out of there. And also because they were, uh, they were good guys, so it helped. And this particular day, I noticed that Coach Miller was limping. So uh, I didn't want to say something to him. So I asked one of the assistant coaches after we were done practice, yeah. I noticed Coach Miller limping. What was the problem? And he said to me, come on, we have to walk to the side. So we walk away. And he said, we lost last night at home to Northwestern. And Coach went in the locker room and kicked the locker and broke his big toe. <laughs> but he still knew he had to come here. So he is really mad. But he uh, he's gutting it out right now. <laughs> so I made it my business to go over and spend some time mm. with him. He's a terrific, was a terrific coach. But that's the nature of that business. You have to travel, deal with that stuff, and yeah. still be out recruiting the high school kids. And in most cases, all the people we came across, we came across really good people that uh, were there because uh, we wanted only the best people to be around the kids because we wanted them to go to good schools to play for good coaches who would care about the kids. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned White Eagle Hall, and, I, and again, just from reading about you and, and, and the, the book, of the, the, the documentary, I mean, what, that place seemed like it was almost like a, you know, like, like the soul of, of a lot of what you guys did. Just, you know, just be, you know. Yeah, it was what, you know, it was, man, it was a, a 75 feet long, yeah. normal basketball court is another 20 feet long. Mm -hmm. And it was only wide enough that the lines for the sidelines kind of went right to the wall. Yeah. The three-point line would only go around from the foul line around. There wasn't enough room in the corners for a three-point line. Uh, we put the NBA line down, so we had a four-point line. So when the kids were playing the gym, anything inside the college line was worth two. Anything behind that line, the, the three-point line was worth three. And then anything behind the NBA line was worth four. Mm -hmm. And those games were unbelievable. No foul calls. You could only make a foul call at game point. <laughs> and the sidelines were inbounds, just like hockey. So you played the sidelines, you played the caroms uh -huh. off the walls, just yeah. like was hockey. Yeah. And everybody learned to play the uh, to play the caroms, and everybody played. Michael Corin, who was a longtime NBA player, at the end of his career, called me up and he says, "I'm I'm 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 going to give it one more shot. I'm going to go up and try to play in Boston after he had finished his career with the Nets." And he says, I'd like to work out with you. So he worked out with us for a while. And this is during the Jerry Walker, Bobby, Terry DeHair era. Yeah. And he was working out with us. And uh, there was game point one day in the first day or two that he was playing. And the ball went flying towards the sideline. And he ran towards it. And it hit the wall. And he stopped. And one of the kids dove by him, got it on the ground, threw it to somebody. And somebody scored. And they lost. And even though Mike had been in the NBA for a long time, the daggers he got from the other four guys <laughs> for not getting that ball first cost them to have to sit. And there were always at least two winners. So if you sat, you were normally going to sit. Could be 20 minutes, could be a half an hour. A lot of the guys would go out on Newark Avenue and just watch the cars and buses go by because it was so hot in the gym during the summer. And Mike went outside and said to them, it'll never happen again. I didn't know the rule. And by the next time we played, here's Mike O'Corin chasing loose balls, knocking guys on their butt, <laughs> joining the insanity that was basketball in the city. But, I mean, I imagine, I mean, that had to have a huge impact on how you guys played on how the, you know, the, the you know, the, again, the, the style of play. Because, I mean, 
I, anytime I've watched your team play, I mean, that, that is every, it's like a, almost a, everybody's diving for the ball. I mean, every, yeah, you know, it's shape, just all, you know, out, think, all out hustle. Things we always held to be, we had to play, always play hard. Yeah. Part of playing hard is, is you have to be in great physical shape. And some of the things you can do with that also helps that alcohol and drugs, okay, cigarettes, non-existent in the program. Mm. You know, uh, over the years, if somebody said to me that, that I should be careful, in the city, the city was great. If a kid started to hang around on a street corner and I just wasn't catching it, you know, quarter million people here. I don't always catch everything. I caught a lot, but not everything. Yeah. Somebody would volunteer information and then I would have a meeting with the kid about what I was told and that uh, if I heard anything else, we would have to do something. And doing something means that if somebody else said to me, yeah, I heard something about one of your guys, I would get every kid on the team and I would take them to a drug, uh, drug treatment program and everybody would uh, leave a urine that day and we would get the urine back in three days and we would now, if we had anyone who was, uh, had anything in their system, it happened over the 20 years we tested, probably happened twice, maybe three times. Somebody tested for marijuana. 60 days, they'd be separated from basketball. They'd have to go in counseling, weekly urine tests, go through that whole process. And we kept these kids early practices, curfews, drug testing, bringing in people, uh, talking from the uh, you know drug education, law enforcement coming and talk to the kids. We kept everybody grounded as what was going on. And it fit in with the sound, mind, sound uh, body and a sound mind. Mm -hmm. And that you're trying to get a scholarship, you gotta treat your body properly. Gotta be a temple. And so we'd go through all of that stuff, playing hard, being in great physical shape, playing smart all the time, and being a team. Hard, smart, together. That were the three things that we would emphasize. Yeah. And we always wanted to be, if you watched us play, what did you always think of you looked at us? Well, you watch us warm up before the game, precision. Really had a, always had a, a very complicated warm up that we looked maybe at, to the people sitting there, people would watch our warm up and they would forget that who the opponent was because they like watching us because it was different than traditional warm up. And the game would start, we'd be very aggressive. Not wild, but aggressive, yeah. great shape. Use a lot of players, you know, maybe nine or 10 of getting in the game in the beginning of the second quarter and very fundamentally sound. Yeah. You know, one ball, ball, everybody got a piece of it. And, uh, and we would just yeah. leave it at this. Nobody would talk. I would maybe go nuts every once in a while on an official's call. My players never talked to the opponent. They wouldn't talk yeah. to the officials. They would just talk to each other. And it's interesting you say that. I, I, I've, noticed, I, I've noticed that in watching games, and especially in, um, it, it was always interesting when you, if you guys would play against a team you know, that had a superstar player and you could tell the pride in trying to shut down the guy, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, um, do you have any examples of you know of, of a player like that where you know where the team was amped up just to to shut that guy down and just clamp down on him? One of the things we enjoyed the most over the years was the scouting report the day before a game. Uh -huh. Coaches in every sport embellish the abilities of their opponent. Belichick right now yeah. and, and Coach Peterson are talking about their opponent right oh, now. Oh, yeah, Belichick will go about – he'll talk about the fullback for, for the team and talk about, like, that so he's, they, he's a game-breaker. and he's Absolutely. <laughs> so they have their team that nothing – the respect you have for the opponent is there. So the day before the game, scouting report is 20 minutes. Every scouting report is 20 minutes. 
State tournament is 20 minutes. Uh, beginning of the season is 20 minutes. Uh, we might have film sessions, but we're doing everything to be prepared. And we would give assignments. And we would say things like, all right, I, I, I'm giving you this guy to guard today, but I'm worried he might be too quick and you could get in foul trouble. And maybe during the scattering report, I'd say, in fact, I am too worried about that. I'm switching. <laughs> so I would have Jerry Walker, for example, who is maybe the most uh, four-year, most successful four-year player we have had. He was involved in so many big games, such a dominant high school player. He, was, he set a mood, even as a freshman high school, for competition, being successful. And I would give the scouting report, and I'd say something about Jerry not being able to guard somebody, go home, and that night Jerry would call my house, and he would want to speak to Bobby. And he and Bobby would be on the phone. They'd be on the phone for a while, and I would know why they were on the phone. He'd hang up, and Bobby would come in and he goes, Jerry has to guard him tomorrow. I can remember <laughs> one of the guys was, uh, was uh, uh, George Hughes, who played with North Carolina, okay, and then played uh, George, George Lynch, oh, yeah. played with North yep. Carolina. Yeah. Okay, and, uh, and we said about Jerry, I don't know if you can guard him, Jerry might be too <laughs> quick. Well, that was like 24 hours. And then when I would announce the day on, in the locker room before the game, I got him, Jerry, I decided I'm wrong, Jerry wants to guard him, Jerry's got him. All the guys would go nuts. And I told that story so many times from the uh, late 80s that over the course of the years, no matter who we played against, Kobe Bryant, Tim Thomas, Jamal Mashburn, uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, yeah. uh, Malik Monk, all these guys that have been, uh, uh, Dion Waiters, all these guys that play in the NBA, everybody wanted to guard these guys. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be part of the story, and everybody wanted the story. So somebody like Gary Dunbar, who started for me one game in his career in Christmas of 1995, he guarded Kobe Bryant, the only guard he had, game he ever started. Now. He talks about that the rest of his life. I saw him recently. His son's a freshman in high school mm -hmm. now, and we were back talking about that game again. That's the stuff that, you know, uh, legend is built on those. Yeah. Well, that's, and it's funny. That's, I mean, Parcells used to do that stuff to LT all the time just to keep them motivated and, me and mess with them. And that's yep. uh, funny. Yep. And, but it, and the it, juices, it, the competitive juices come right out. Absolutely. It, it's, uh, I love hearing stuff like that. Um, you know, of, of some of like the re recent players coming up, I mean, who are now in the NBA, I mean, and, and from New Jersey, who, who who are some of the toughest guys or best players you you Kyrie uh, Kyrie Irving, you know, uh, uh, from from uh, his sophomore, he went to a camp with my basketball camp yeah, where he was going to be a sophomore. In high he was school. at the Montclair uh, Kimberly School, and then he, tra he transferred. And then he transferred, and uh, his family called us at the end of sophomore year, and they were talking about transferring. I had him at camp and. You knew he was going to be good. There was no idea he was going to be that good. Um, yeah, so Kyrie, Kyrie, very yeah. good. Uh, let me see some of the other guys. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, the kid from uh, Dewan Wagner from Camden, that, if not for the health problems he yeah. had, I think he would have had a very good it, pro it, career. I, yeah, I saw him play in, in the the state finals. Uh, um, was that in Trenton or uh, for, for what school was that? But my God, he that was he was probably the best high school player I saw up close, uh, you know, live. I mean, yeah. that, that kid was unbelievable. I mean, Carl, you know, Carl, Carl Towns. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's uh, Kenneth Fareed from Newark here. Yeah. Uh, guys that were just uh, 
you know, just Kenneth Fareed worked to make himself a, a professional yeah. player. And he's a tough, you know, he's a tough, tough player. He just will pursue. He'll go after every rebound. Yeah. He plays bigger than his size. He will guard anybody. He took the toughness of Newark, and it made it part of his, his DNA. Uh, did you guys ever play against LeBron? Uh, or did, no. Okay. Uh, Dan, when Danny was at St. Benedict, yeah. Danny played against LeBron. Uh, we we did not play against him, uh, but he was he was an absolute grown man, grown yeah, man when he was in high school. I, I know it was amazing. I never saw him play live, just on TV in high school. But man, he watching. I mean, it was like, and I'm a Magic Johnson fan. That was my favorite player growing up. I mean, watching him play was like it was like watching Magic reincarnated Absolutely. mixed with Jordan and Kobe. Absolutely. Bill, just, uh, Jim Beheim told me <laughs> when LeBron was 15 years old that he was the best 15 year old he'd ever seen. And that he was going to be at the top of the sport someday. I can remember that like it was yesterday. And yeah, no, it, and it, he's it, absolutely right. Absolutely. Um, and, and and you mentioned Kyrie, and I actually just listened to a podcast with him. Um, they did with um, uh, JJ Redick, and uh, and that article that just came out. I don't know if you got, got a chance to read it. Jackie McMullen did about kind of the split up between him and LeBron. But yeah, yeah. but I mean, it, it gave you a lot of insight to just how competitive he, you know, because he's not a loud person, but. Man, that, yeah, it's a fire. It, it, the fire burns with Yeah, them. I mean, and 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 one of the, the the first day when he when he transferred out and um to uh he went to St. Patrick Patrick, Patrick yeah, uh Michael Kidd Gilchrist came up to him and you know and they kind of had like this little showdown and then played one on one and Kyrie just apparently Destroyed. lit him up and then th that was it. Then that was, it was yep, yep the end of that was the end of the what do you call it there the pecking order change. <laughs> um. You know, of of some of those you know, the the schools up here and in, in this area. I mean, wh who, who what, are, what are the schools that you'd consider your biggest rivals or you know or coaches? Or well, I think I think from the time started coaching, it changed over decades. Yep. So when we first uh, when I first started coaching in the seventies, uh, Jersey City St. Mary's was our big rival because it was a parochial B. We were parochial C. So they were a little bit bigger. Their teams were a little bit better. So that was the competition. And we get into the eighties. And uh, uh, over the uh, the early 80s, I think uh, St. Peter's New Brunswick had some very good teams in the early 80s. John Samoji was the coach, who was at one time was New Jersey's all-time leading scorer. So that became the rival. And then as we get into the late 80s, uh, Marist High School here from Jersey City became a big rival. Yeah. And then right after Marist, it became the Patrick School and Patterson Catholic. Yeah. Those two were the two teams in the northern part of the state. You had to buy really both of them in order to, uh, if you're going to try to win a, a state championship. So, and then particularly over the years, uh, Patrick's, uh, St. Pat's, Kevin Boyle. Was I was going to say, Kevin Boyle. Right? He was, built from, yeah. from scratch. Yeah. He built that up to become a, you know, a team that uh, one of us was going to probably win a state championship yeah. they, on a yearly basis. They had, and then they had some pretty unbelievable players that, that, to come through there. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, right, and he, he's down in Florida now, right, Kevin? He's at uh, Monteverde. Monteverde, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Was just, um, uh, and then obviously, uh, Danny got into sorry with high school in St. Benedict's. Uh, was that a tough time? I mean, did you guys cross paths a lot? I mean, did, was there? Uh... Well, he started. He actually started his first year after college. He worked with me for a year at St. Mm -hmm. Anthony's. He taught at St. Anthony's and and helped me with the team. Then after that year, he went to Rutgers for four years. Mm -hmm. So he's an assistant with Kevin Bannon at Rutgers. After those four years, he went to St. Benedict's. Mm -hmm. And he put in, I don't know, maybe like 11 years yeah. as the uh, coach there. 
So what he happened was he ran a college program for that time. He was in St. Benedict's. He had kids boarding. He had international kids. He had everything, study hall, workouts before school. He did everything that a college coach would do. And he had all the biggest schools in the country coming in. Picked everybody's brain as to how he should do things. And when the job opened at Wagner, he took the job and then has just, you know, he's just moved up the ladder. You know, Bobby's situation was different. Bobby started off professional player. Yeah. Gone as a professional player. But when he did leave professional basketball, he came back and he helped me for a year. And then he moved down to Florida and he uh, started the horse business. Mm -hmm. And he spent time here and in Florida, but he was in the horse business. And then all of a sudden he started to help when he's in Florida, started helping with the high school team down there at Pinecrest, yeah. where his kids went to school. And I could see he started to want to get in conversations yeah. with Danny like and the I. fire started burning again. Danny and I, and he'd be sitting down at a yeah. barbecue, and he and I, Danny and I would be talking about our teams, and Bobby would be talking about his horses, and Danny and I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> we had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> so after a while, he needed to get into the same conversation all of a sudden, he started talking about yeah. it. And then when Danny took the Wagner job, uh, Danny and I and Bobby and I spoke, and we said, hey, this might be the, this might be the time to do it because if you're going to make a drastic move like jumping into coaching, you've got to know who you're going to jump in with. You may as well jump in with your brother. You're not going to know anybody better than that, 18 months apart. So here they go. Now the dynamic begins of the two of them working together, which was uh, – uh, it was hysterical to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> and it, I, I mean, I, I, I'm can ima I imagine they're you know supportive of each other. But I, is there a competitiveness that exists now? You know, I, I think they they talk two or three times a day. Okay, they talk about the profession. They watch each other's teams. They uh, bounce things off each other. They're uh, they're constantly talking about the profession, and uh, probably some competitiveness exists. But I think they just. Uh, they feel that they know each other better than any, you know, if neither one of them needs to make a phone call right now about what they're doing, they're going to call the other guy because mm -hmm. they just, they're, uh, they're that close. You know, and, uh, you talked a lot uh, throughout this about, you know, family and, and, and how you kept the, you know, the program and, and just your regular family itself, you know, so tight. I mean, is it tough now having everybody kind of spread out a little bit or, you know, or, or with technology now, you, you know, kind of can. Yeah. Well, gap? I have, we have two, like my daughter, Melissa. Yeah. We have her, uh, we pick up her two uh, kids every day up in Union City. Okay. And we bring them either to the gym, if I'm in the gym with, with the kids in the afternoon. Or like today, since we're going to go see Temple tonight and uh, uh, Wichita State, we'll bring them back to the house here. My daughter's a teacher. She'll come and get them uh, later on. So I have those two with me all the time. Danny's son, Danny, is a freshman at Seton Hall. So mm -hmm. we see him probably once a week. We take him out someplace, get something to eat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Bobby's kids, we're not going to see as much in Arizona. But we see uh, Danny's kids more because Arizona, because um, Rhode Island's three hours away as opposed to that major commitment of getting all the way out to, you know, yeah. out to the West Coast. You know, it, uh, and, and running this running this foundation now. We committed ourselves to be in a gym Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. Today is one of the few days off we've had since September where we're not in the gym today because it's, it's almost a once-in-a-life opportunity to see Marcus McDuffie, a junior at Wichita State, play against Josh Brown, a senior at Temple. You know, to see two of my guys, 
going against each other in, yeah. in the, tonight in the, in the game. Well, and I, I guess <coughs> that's a good segue to, in, into that. I wanted to uh, give you opportunity to discuss the foundation of, you know, how did it all you know, come about and what are some of the things you're doing, progress made? And, and, and well, you know, that. I guess last February, March, the handwriting was on the wall that it, the numbers just were not going to, uh, as, as, as more and more um, uh, things were given to us, that we needed to do to stay open. It was. It became apparent that we weren't going to be able to uh, to reach the numbers uh, that the archdiocese wanted us to reach, and so we started just sitting around talking about, well, gee, what you know, what are we going to do? When I say that, it's my wife and I, what are we going to do? So we uh, we started talking about, well, maybe we'll just rent the gym, and so a bunch of the people from the board of trustees from St. Anthony's started calling and saying, well, what are you going to do? So we started to go through the same conversations with them about, you know, <clears throat> we're thinking about renting the gym. Uh, there is no real CYO league in Jersey City anymore. All the kids here grew up in the CYO league. Everybody grew up, myself, everybody I knew grew up playing from the time you're mm -hmm. in about fourth grade. Yeah. Little guys, bitty, grammar, you played in the rec leagues, but the CYO was where you had practices, organized games, yeah. all that stuff. And it's pretty much not existent now. So. We said, well, let's open it up to gym. Let's put lower baskets. So I had lower baskets installed in one mm -hmm. part of this gym we rent. Uh, we're getting 30-second clocks, which we're going to start to use with the kids. We began in September and started drilling kids, uh, high school kids, uh, getting ready for the season, grammar school kids, teaching them how to play. And we did that right up until December 1st. And on December 1st, we started organizing grammar school teams. And we, we made them, uh, made teams, uh, got kids citywide, don't do any transportation. Kids have to get there on their own. We do it in the gym down here. Now we have uh, probably about 80 kids playing in our, our, our two leagues mm -hmm. uh, in the afternoons. And in the fall, we had about uh, 40 high school kids coming in to work out and maybe 40, 50 grammar school kids. So we're going to do that. I, I'm thinking about taking a bunch of kids away to basketball camp this summer trying to get kids who, who probably are never going to have a camp experience, take them away to camp, maybe run a, a league at night, a night or two, got to see how it works, and, and just kind of uh, give, give the kids a chance to play basketball and while they're playing be told some things they need to know. Mm -hmm. A kid I took away at basketball camp uh, shot a kid the other day, and he's in the eighth grade right now. Okay, so in September I called his school – and I let the school know I had the gym open three days a week. And I, if somebody could get him down to the gym or if he could be told that he needs to hop on the light rail or the path train and come down. And after a week or two of not hearing from them, somebody called me back and said, we think we've lost them to the streets. Now, this is an eighth grader. Three months go by. What happens? After three months now, he's involved in a shooting. So that stuff right now is things that are you know, uh, things that are just are just not not happy with, you know, and we have to try to do something about. Um, I guess, I mean, that, is that a main objective of the, the programs, uh, you know, that, that you're now running is, is to make sure, you know, kids don't? As we said in the earlier part today, one of the things we always felt we did is by so much participation in their sport and the monitoring of other things, yeah. The St. Anthony's kids got out of uh, a world where perhaps it wouldn't have gone the same way. 
and they wound up having you know much better lives because of it mm -hmm. and so we've expanded it kids are kids yeah. they're not st anthony's uniforms anymore but they're kids from around jersey yeah. city and we know we're going to affect kids because yeah. we already have kids that are getting there in the afternoon i asked the kids what street they're from kid came yesterday from wegman parkway wegman parkway's out in greenville what do we talk to him immediately? Well, Mrs. Hurley's from Wegman Parkway. Uh, we got married in Sacred Heart Church right up on Bayview and Martin Luther King. You, ident you want the kid to identify right away with who you are, yeah. that you know where he's coming from. If he says something about his grammar school, I probably know somebody who's in that school, and now that's a kid I'm gonna look out for because I'm trying to build a personal relationship with them yeah. and make them more than just a kid who we give a you know a, a reversible shirt to to play in the games? In terms of that, uh, I, 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 I want to ask about the um, you, you have a golf tournament right coming up to, as a fundraiser. Yeah, we this. last year we ran a golf tournament yep. in October. Yeah, and we ran it at the, um, uh, the Maplewood, Maplewood Country Club, yeah. and it was uh, a real a really big success. Yeah, you know we don't have we don't have the staggering numbers anymore to raise like we did when we're at St. Anthony's now. Uh, it's equipment for the kids, it's gym rental, it's insurance mm -hmm. uh, to protect ourselves right now because we're just doing this at the goodness of our hearts. We don't want to be sued over injuries and things. Yeah. So we have insurance and equipment and, uh, and, 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 the, and the bigger things like maybe taking kids away to basketball camp yeah. and, and doing some of those other things. So uh, the golf tournament and some contributions we've gotten from people yeah. will probably keep us in the black and we'll continue this thing uh, and see how uh, you know yeah. see how it goes. What's uh, what's the website where people can donate? Uh, it's uh, the, it is uh, the Hurley Family Found the Hurley Family Foundation. Okay, um, you know, and it's funny, mentioning you know kids starting out playing. Ironic, my, my nephew he ju he's uh, seven. He just started. He's playing biddy ball for now, and it's crazy that. I, still think he's yep. think of him as a baby yep. now he's asking me about basketball and dribbling yep. and and he you know we had the hoop set up at 10 feet obviously he couldn't reach it so we put it to eight feet and then well that's he, exactly where we are and, and, and he's and he's it, but then he's getting competitive he's asking me what's a real hoop like you know want to shoot on the 10 foot I go, yep. you'll get there but yep. um what what kinds of it you know just straight basketball advice do you, do you give to parents you know when they're starting their kids out it's uh, you know, you know I, I, I don't I enjoy enjoy the journey yeah one of the things i tell every parent right now is that i i think specialization is wrong that i think kids should play everything i agree i think I, when you I, get I to 15 14 15 years old maybe all yeah. of a sudden there's something you you're yeah. you're much better at than other things yeah. or something you really like that you want to play more but I think growing up through grammar school, we Absolutely. will do. We didn't run our league until now. We do not want a kid that's not playing uh, soccer, cross country, or football yeah. in fall. And now in the spring, we want kids playing uh, lacrosse or soccer or yeah. baseball. And we so we're gonna we're gonna keep the gym open. We're gonna encourage kids to register for other things, and that you know uh, we'll have our seasons for them. But being involved in other things is, I think, important. Being busy, yeah. not losing what he caught, like enjoying every day of competitiveness, not going someplace where you're doing the same thing all the time. And you, some days you, you just regret being there. We don't want that to happen with young kids. And I agree about the specialization thing. It's the same thing. We, you know, growing up, you'd play every, whatever sport yep. was in season. Yep. You'd be out there. And, I mean, first of all, now you don't even see a kid outside no. playing, let alone no. playing within the seasons. And, I mean – 
you know, and, and unfortunately, I mean, I think a lot of parents think their kid, every kid is, every one of their kids is going to go pro in yeah. whatever sport yeah, just by specialization. Is, just enjoy, like enjoy yeah. watching yeah. the kid play, uh, you know, and, and realize that there's no way you can know. Exactly. Steph Curry in December of his senior year, I was standing with his father, Dell, yeah. in a Christmas tournament in Florida, and he and I were talking, and I said to him, who's recruiting Steph right now? And he said to me, this is December. They've already played basketball for a month. He said he does not have a firm scholarship yet. Yeah. He said, and I said to him, do you want me to make some calls for you? This is ridiculous. And he said to me, no, it's all going to work itself out. Yeah. Somebody will eventually and, uh, figure it and out. And it's a great example because, you know, especially in a, in a basketball crazy state like North Carolina, yep. you figure something, and then, you know, he ends up going to Davidson and and that's why I remember. And, and he's I, been a two-time MVP. Yeah. I, and, I remember uh, watching him in college. Again, I, I, I told you I'm a Duke fan, so I, I yep. follow all, all that area. And I mean, I would watch him play. And I'm like, this. There's a place for this kid in the NBA. Yep. And obviously, I mean, I didn't know if he'd get the MVP level, but I mean, absolutely. You, you know, you watch. I mean, just the shooting and and just the the confidence that he played with. In a, you know, at a small school. I mean, he had the it that. You can't teach. And he worked it. on because of his dad's influence. Yeah, he worked on his basketball skills. He just didn't play games. He was constantly in the gym shooting. He's because as good a shooter as he's become, he's become even a better dribbler and yeah, passer. Yeah, his ball, his handle is now gotten... the drills he remains yeah. doing on a daily basis now makes him one of the best ball handlers in basketball. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's it's funny um, as you mentioned that. that when I was listening to the Kyrie Irving thing, he was talking a lot about his ball. I mean, obviously, his, his hit ball handling, I think, is probably Phenomenal. the best in the world, if, if not top two or three. Yep. And he was talking about all the different drills and how he does it. You know, he'll start with one simple thing, add another move in, then try to shoot, you know, sh shoot a layup off of it, then yep. pump fake, you know, go left. I mean, yep. it, it was, you know, just the – just the thought process that, that he's talking about. Is and then just, he changes. And the thing about yeah. these guys is they see something else now. Yeah. They want to master that. So they keep changing their own workouts. Yeah. And there's other guys right now who could be so much better, but they don't have the work ethic and the passion yeah. to get better at the sport. Well, and you mentioned before Dion Waiters, and that was a guy like that who obviously has a lot of natural talent, but could kind of, you know, get caught and, you know, not fully – develop it and then he went to Miami and he they said Pat he said Pat Riley put him on this program yep. like a Olympic yes. program he cut like 20 pounds and just got into world-class shape yep. and I mean I, I believe he got he's hurt at the moment but he's hurt but he's become uh, I mean become like a I mean all-star level player oh my, he was and I mean because I remember him in college, he was unbelievable and you know he just seemed like when he got in the league he just got you know a little bit complacent just yes. Did, yes. and then uh and Miami, I was just when I, seeing him play. I'm like, that's the guy I saw, like where you you could see again the it thing, like where you know, and and he's got the swagger when he. So if he's going well physically, he's got that swagger where he's not. He wants the ball at the end yep. of the game, and he wants to guard the best guy. Yes. And so I mean, it, it you know it's amazing, but um, it's interesting watching you know seeing now like a lot of the guys you know who are taking better care of themselves, you know, focusing on you know. You know, not just being happy to be in the league. You know, even being at a great level, but trying to get to that. Jeff Jeff Van level. Gundy used to talk about years ago that one of the problems in the NBA is the league got all the players in the league got really enamored with weight training. 
Yeah. And everybody was going into the weight rooms and they were becoming big and strong and thick. And, and the game that. just became like a, what do you call game of like wrestling. Yeah. And he said what they should do to make the league better is lock the weight rooms. And if you look at these guys now, guys do a lot less weight training and they do a lot more skill development yeah. now. And that's the thing, even with kids, well, you know, you do some stuff absolutely. to build your body up, but it's not a sport. When you look at the great teams of all time, the, the Lakers and the Celtics, when they played during those eras, Magic and Bird and McHale, all these guys, they were all lean. Yeah. There was nobody well, who was thick. And that's what I was thinking like, with a guy like Tiger Woods. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I've followed Tiger his whole life, and uh, that's the thing. He got enamored with that, with, with building himself up. And with golf, you know, you lose that flexibility yep. in your swing. And, yep. I mean, I don't think it, it's not, it wasn't a fluke, you know, with the type of injuries he had and pulling joint muscles and, and, yep. and all things like that. Uh, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, but a lot of guys now have gone that direction now with, with focusing more on that. And, and it's, it's definitely, I think, helped the game out yep. quite a bit. Um, I was like two more here. Um, uh, you know, when, you know, obviously I'm sure you're busy enough with, you know, watching your sons and, you know, and, and with your projects you have going on when you're not watching your guys, who are some of the teams you watch or game, you know, you, know, well, do you watch NBA I, college. Yeah. I, uh, I love college basketball. I'm inclined to watch really the teams that I have kids playing on. Yeah. And I have a lot of kids playing in college right now. I think there's 18 or 19 kids playing yeah. in college. So I'm trying to watch most of them. Uh, I like uh, I like going to see NJIT play. Okay, they've they've turned around. You know, Jim Engels, who yeah. is the head coach there, is now at Columbia. Jim is a terrific coach. Brian Kennedy, who's the coach there now, is doing a great job. I have two kids to play there: mm -hmm. Muhammad Bindari and Shaquan Gibbs. So I love going to watch them. Going there to watch a, a, an NJIT game, and then going to uh, Ferry Street. Uh, to one of the Portuguese restaurants, or specifically Fernandez Steakhouse, mm -hmm. is one terrific night for for us. So we uh, we try to yeah. take advantage of that regularly. Uh, I really am, I love watching uh, Golden State play, yeah, and I really enjoy watching the Celtics, and the three NBA teams and the Spurs. Yeah, I love the Spurs, and Kyle Anderson, who played for me, is now on the Spurs. Yeah, he's fun so, to watch. Yeah. So the to the chance to watch a former player. A team that you really like. I love what the Celtics are doing, and I love what Woody Colt's doing also. I love also uh, Kenny Atkinson now with the Nets. Yeah. Uh, Kenny uh, used to come into White Eagle Hall and play, yeah. and uh, I'm really enjoying He's a good fit them. for them. He, he's, I think he's the guy they needed at that. He's going to mold. It's going to yeah. be each each month they're getting better. Yeah. And as they, as they acquire some free agents here, they're going to keep getting better. Absolutely. I mean, um, is Brad Stevens, speaking of Boston, I mean, is he a coach you look at as, you know, I mean, the real you know deal? How, you know how you watch coaches and you appreciate coaches? Coaches, what do they do when they come out to start the second half of a game? Mm. What adjustments were made? What do they run out of timeouts? And what do you run at the very end of a game? When you have teams that come out, you can just gauge good teams. The shot selection or the shot they get after a timeout, yeah. the adjustments at halftime, and the plays you can run at the very end of the game. You know, if you watch any of these really good teams, they have so many options at the end of the game that the opponent is like up one and they just, they're scared to death of what the good team is going to run yeah. to get a shot at the end of the game. And it's, that's the thing I've, it's funny, I've, I've always hear about Brad Stevens is, is out of timeout plays. His, that, his end of the game stuff is, uh, it's, 
the, the guys, I don't have one here now, but normally with the good teams are playing, you keep a pen and a pad, and there they are over here, a pen and a pad yeah. for the situations where you can write stuff down. And the St. Anthony's over the years, by the time the state tournament was rolling around, we would use four or five or six different things we had seen on TV yeah. to be able to incorporate and then say to the kids, wait till we use this now because yeah. we saw the Celtics use this. We saw uh, Golden States. Mm -hmm. We saw San Antonio run it. We saw uh, you know Duke run it. We saw you know yeah. one of our kids from St. Anthony's running in college. Just yeah. the kids love. They love to be part of that. And, and speaking of, I mean, and I, and I see the notebook there. I mean, are you? Do you still are you still doing that actively, like you know, paying attention to things like that? Oh yeah, and, I and still it, go to. I, I I speak. I probably speak at a dozen clinics this year. Yeah, and I'll take my I'll take my stuff with me. I'll go there and pick out the people I have not heard or I want to hear, and I will write every word that I can while I'm there. Take it back with me, look at it, and see whether it's something I can use. Every high school practice yeah. I go to every college practice, pen and paper, write everything down, and then figure out whether you want to use it. But in writing everything down, education is ongoing. So you're keeping yourself abreast of what everybody's doing. Um, and again, with, without being too prying with your question, uh, I mean, d do you think there will be another chapter coaching or, you know, anything basket, you know, basketball related? I mean, how are you kind of viewing – know where you're at well, now I think I think off. there'll be continue to be basketball but in yeah. a different way okay like I'm gonna I'm, I'm now involved with uh, USA basketball yeah with the with their grassroots level that, of, yeah. of and that's probably and that's probably a perfect role for, so that's for, one I'm also uh, doing now clinics more clinics yeah. uh, uh, Nike's got me doing a bunch of clinics this yeah. year where I can go you know like my, my experience coaching in high school I can talk to the high school coaches about how important it is to organize your freshman team and to have like skill development as part of every day's practice mm -hmm. and to uh, assess the kids that you have and don't get caught up in like if you live in Texas, for example, and just because you might live close to say Baylor or Texas Tech or maybe University of Texas, you don't develop that style of play because you're geographically are close to the school. You take things that would fit the kids that you have yeah. and your own personality. Um, would would there would you ever do anything like TV or commentary or anything like that? No, 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 I, don't think, no I don't think. No, I, I I I like the fact that from this where we are today here on on Washington Street, I can get over to Ninth Street where the gym is in about maximum of seven or eight minutes, mm -hmm. and uh, my world consists of being down here. Bunch of jobs were offered to me this year. I can imagine. All meaning, all leaving Jersey City. Yeah. My wife and I have been born and raised, and we've lived here our whole lives. So at this point, I'm 70. Yeah. She's a bit of a. We're not. Uh, we're not. You know, we're not going anywhere. So, you know, unless it's on vacations. So and yeah. So basically, I mean, whatever any opportunities are gonna. You know, even if you have to travel for a day or so, but it's, you're going to, you're, 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 yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I go to college practices. Yeah. A bunch of the coaches ask me to stop by, watch practice, talk to the kids. Yeah. I've done it with high school and college. I've run some high school practices this year that I enjoy. The one thing, I, and I said this earlier, the one thing I just can't uh, replace right now is the adrenaline. Like, yeah. The adrenaline. I, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, a little bit when I watch Arizona State and, yeah. uh, uh, Rhode Island play, 
and I think if it's the NCAA tournament. Well, I was going to say March Madness could be yeah, the, the – The it, A-10 tournament, yeah, the Pac-12 yeah. tournament, the NCAAs, that's uh, adrenaline. Yeah. Other than that – And that would be great. That, that would be so cool. I mean, I mean, right now, I mean, they're both – both teams are looking – you know, like they're not. Yeah, like make, today, as we're speaking today, and not only going to make it, but probably be seated pretty well. But yeah. I mean, that'd be cool if they end up playing in this area too. Uh, you yes. know, to be able to see an NCAA game with your yeah. sons. I mean, that that's got to be a father. You know, well, the, we've gone two years in a row. Two years ago, uh, Buffalo got to the tournament. Yes, that's right. Yes, went to Columbus and played West Virginia. Lost a bang bang game. Yeah, I remember that game. That was a great. They were game. right in the whole game. But in that, and I mean, that very much. Put your son on, you know, not that his name needed to be put on. No, it really radar, helped. Yes. But, but you know that that really made people realize, okay, he was he's not just Bobby Hurley, the basketball player. He's he's a hell of a coach. It transitions. And I mean, that, like, I remember that, that that was a hell of a game. I mean, the last year with Sacramento. Yeah. So last year, last year, the uh, Rhode Island beat Creighton and lost a tough one to yeah. uh, to Oregon, who got to the final four. Yeah. So it's been back to back years, one each. Now it'd be phenomenal if they could both go. Yeah, definitely. And then, and then try to figure out if they're in different regions, how do you do it? So we'll yeah, see. Absolutely. Um, and I guess you know, you just mentioned the Jersey City. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of the city has, I think, maintained kind of its, you know, its its culture. But I mean, there is a lot changing in Jersey City. A lot of gentrification. I mean, how yeah, do you yeah. feel about where? city is headed well, and i'm still i'm still a greenville guy yeah you know my neighborhood i grew up on L linden avenue mm -hmm. uh we moved down to uh ferncliff road when uh i think bobby was maybe five or six we lived there until uh about 15 16 years ago we moved downtown and uh you know it's a good neighborhood town so if you mention a street in the city yeah. i can tell you you know, good place, maybe good sandwich place. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe I played on a softball team in this bar, or I, you get story or good pizza place. Yeah, you got that from all over the city. People are moving in are probably putting more more people moving in downtown here. Yeah, but they're they don't know about the true neighborhoods, the yeah. gems Absolutely. all over the place here in the city. Uh, <coughs> on that topic, what, what would be what would be a uh, top? I know you mentioned the one. Uh, restaurant before what would be a recommendation for a top food place around well here? if you're if or, you're you're back in my neighborhood in greenville yeah you have to go to lakos okay it's on terhune avenue a great italian restaurant lou laco jr's place uh burger places we have some great burger places uh place on west side avenue chris what's the bur what's the west side avenue burger place uh, park, tavern. park tavern great place for yeah. burger downtown here uh presto's good for italian the light horse over here. Yeah. Two really good places. Uh, they're, they're kind of places we go to, you know, we go to regularly. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, are you a, uh, are you a music TV guy or I, uh, I put music on every morning. Yeah. What, I, what's, I, my what's, routine, what's your go to my, uh, I'm a, uh, a creature of habit. So I get up a little, a little bit after seven. Uh -huh. I come in here and I put Pandora on and every day my music changes. Mm-hmm. My music can go from uh, Montavani to uh, Candy Dulfer to uh, I could put jazz on. I may have oldies on one day. Mm -hmm. uh, I I could have a I could have a Springsteen day. It, I, a I, 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 quite often I start off with what my my daughter might say is more music. To get me go, to get me yeah. as I ease into the day, yeah. and then I change but as the morning up. goes along. And I'll, we'll leave music on usually for about two, two and a half hours in yeah. the morning. 
My wife's in, in, in checking the news, but I will have read uh, the Daily News and the Post That's and the Star-Ledger. They're my three newspapers. I'll have read those while I'm listening to the music, uh, check all my emails, yeah. uh, read uh, newspapers in Providence and Arizona, mm -hmm. uh, check on all the kids from St. Anthony's to see yeah. how everybody did, uh, go through uh, NJ.com, cover all our local news mm -hmm. that I didn't uh, get from those papers, yeah. and then that's generally about almost three hours in. That's so fun. I, I've been a New York Post Daily News guy my whole life. But my, my great uncle would bring it to me every day. So I, and I, I do miss, to a certain extent, the ledger I have yeah. delivered. So I do have the one newspaper in my hand. Yeah. But the, uh, now it's, uh, it's a combination of two online yeah. and the one. And the Jersey Journal. Yeah. I, I don't get the Jersey Journal every day now because I can get a lot of it online. But that would be the, uh, my, yeah. other, my other newspaper. Um, what what's something about you that you know the average fan or somebody you know just who has followed your career wouldn't know about you just you know so uh, random kind of probably i mean you how much of a yankee fan i am uh, okay. oh yeah we've the last two of the last three years uh my wife and i and my grandson gabe have gone to uh, uh spring training okay and we that, know, that's great that's a great we, trip down there i love i've it. done it before it's, it's so much fun so we uh i uh, i'm on the yankee site every morning mm-hmm I'm, uh, you know, I'm watching to see if we're going to sign right now. I just think there's a pitcher we're probably going to sign, but there's a couple of moves that might be made. You know, Ellsbury, if they could, if yeah. the Yankees will eat a certain amount of contract, mm -hmm. they're going to move him, and that'll free up some money for somebody. I'm not necessarily Darvish. I don't know if that's the one I want. Uh, uh, I'm excited for Gleyber Torres. Yeah. I want them to just throw him out there and then – I don't. If you put Torres in there, I don't care if you go for a veteran at say third base. If you can play Torres second base, but uh, Stanton and Judge in the lineup, yes, and yes. Uh, I think Sanchez is a terrific young player. Yeah. I think a whole year with Bird. I think uh, I think yeah. it's the well, Bird. Yeah, Bird's not gonna. Bird can now kind of just do his own thing. You know, he, yeah, he's, he's not, added what he can. Now he's not. You know, if he can just be injury free, yeah, field his position, kind of hit. The average for his position Absolutely. right now. Uh, I like it. Bullpen, got to get Batances. Uh, got Batances back uh, mentally. Uh, bullpen's great. Yeah. And uh, um, what, what would be a favorite non-basketball family memory that, that you've had? You know? uh, well, I, think, I, think, I think the kids, oh, everybody graduating college. And I think now more than anything is following grandkids. Yeah. We have seven grandkids. I think my wife and I uh, uh, are uh, monitoring what they do. It's been an awful lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, uh, travel. You know, we, we do travel some. Not the, the foundation could keep us from doing what happens sometimes with people when they retire. You travel a lot. Yeah. We do some travel. And so we. And uh, do, do you have like a favorite spot, favorite? Or, or? Well, we, 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 we do some things. Like I like to, tra I like to travel. We have a, a couple of timeshares in, in, down in Disney in okay. Florida. So we bring grandkids there all the time. We're going to go there in, uh, it, it took the end of March, four or five days. Uh, we go a couple places. We go to Bermuda. We go to, we've been to Turks and Caicos. We run some clinics when we go to vacation places because I can't spend, I, I can't spend the whole day on the beach. I'm, I'm good for, for going in the water, 
Uh, I need some place where I can read. It's too bright to read. I, 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 bring... I'm the same way. I get, I get, I, I have, I have a very short shelf life, and then I, I start going a little. This year, in fact, this year for the trip to Disney, they're only getting me the pass for one day because they feel they're wasting the pass on me. Because when they go in the park in the morning, yeah. I have, you know, like dinner with DiMaggio <laughs> is waiting right now. I have to Ted Williams to finish. I have a bunch of biographies over there yeah. that I still have to get to. I'll take two or three books with me. I'll, uh, I'll read for a good portion of the day. Then I go to the health club. I might ride a, ride a bike and read for another 45 minutes, mm-hmm. do some other stuff, and then, uh, okay, and then get ready for, uh, you know, get ready for uh, dinner and uh, maybe, one vi- maybe one visit with the characters yeah. where I have to ask Chris, uh, who, what's the name of these characters in case somebody take them <laughs> over to me right now? I don't know who the heck they are. All right, all right I'll, cl- I'll close this one. Um, uh, what's your Super Bowl prediction? I, uh, I love Belichick. I'm clouded in – my judgment is never uh, clear when I like coaches. Yeah. And McCourty has come and spoke to my kids at St. Anthony's. Okay. The McCourty brothers, yeah, the they're, twins, yeah, they couldn't be two nicer young men. We played against them in high school – at St. Joe's mm-hmm. uh, Montfail, they were basketball players. Yeah. They are two terrific guys. So uh, I don't have, with, uh, with the Eagles, I don't have a horse in the race. I don't know anybody in the Eagle organization yeah. uh, with, uh, the, with McCourty and loving Belichick and everything about uh, them. They're just, they're great. And it's hard to root for somebody that's always good. Yeah. But the nature of them you know, managing to do it all the time. They just, you know, they it's, just it's, figure it, it out. It's amazing. No, it's an amazing run. Well, Coach Hurley, thank you very much for uh, taking the time. My I really pleasure. appreciate it. I hope everybody enjoyed that one as much as I did. And, uh, again, a huge thank you to Coach Hurley uh, and, and, and his wife for for allowing me uh, the, the hospitality and and the opportunity to uh, – to, to interview him, uh, really just a, a real bucket list item uh, for my broadcast career and, and really enjoyable to do. Uh, they're, they're just tremendous people, and uh, I encourage anybody to, to read more about them and read more about the, the, the career he's had. Uh, the Miracle of St. Anthony, a great book or a documentary, The Street Stops Here, two, two tremendous, tremendous uh uh, pieces that that were done that really uh, encapsulate uh, everything that St. Anthony is about. So uh, thank everybody for listening. And uh, if, uh, if if you feel 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 so obligated, uh, uh, any anybody uh, who, who liked today's show, please subscribe, uh, leave your feedback, spread the word around, tell tell a friend, tell somebody, uh, and uh, that's how uh, these things uh, kind of grow and evolve so uh anything like that would uh, be much appreciated and uh will like i said i'll uh, i have a few things i have to add to this but i just wanted to just get the the nuts and bolts of this episode up and uh running and uh working on some other exciting things coming up here uh for sure so uh that's uh that's about it for now i don't want to mush it but uh <laughs> and it's weird just to say go pats but you know everybody knows i'm not an eagle fan so Hopefully, 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 Tom Brady can take care of things uh, one more time come this Sunday for the Super Bowl, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, you know, I don't know if the Eagles got the destiny thing going for for, for once. Oh man, what what a weird time we live in. But uh, again, thank you everybody for uh, for, for for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back uh, 
I don't know. I, I, if, if I can record one while uh, while, while I'm out of town, I will. If not, uh, back uh, Monday or Tuesday with, with, with a fresh episode and uh, take it from there. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. And uh, thank you for listening uh, to this interview with Bob Hurley here on the Matty Faz podcast.